Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. I spoke on this topic last in 2004, 17 years ago. And the other day I was reading the scriptures just in my own study time and reading commentaries. And I felt the Lord say, you need to preach on this again. So I waited a few weeks, and so today I'm wanting to speak on the topic of the perfect 10. The perfect 10. The 10 commandments. How many of you know, yep, in an age of lawlessness, the problem is not looking at the fruit and trying to solve it politically. We've got to get to the root. Do you know that there are 35 billion laws in the world to help us keep the Ten Commandments. <laughs> and here's the thing. They're all different kinds of laws. Think of the different kinds of laws. We've got commercial law. We've got constitutional law. We've got public law, criminal law, international law, but no one talks about personal law. And none of those laws can work unless you have the Ten Commandments and you understand their place in the life of a Christian. You see, we've been told that we're not under law. I'll get to that in a moment. And we'll realize why we're not under the law for salvation, but for change in our lives and for society and culture, we really do need the Ten Commandments again. And they're an incredible summary of God's will. They've never been adequately added to. They're still ten, and they summarize social and personal life, and they provide all that we need. Listen, they're not the ten suggestions. They are the Ten Commandments. Less than 300 words, barely in English, but powerful for creating a good society. And they embrace family rights, human rights, personal rights, uh, property rights, sexual rights, and they resonate in our consciences as being true. Have you noticed that? It's just something about them. And they're the simple guide to successful living. And if ever we needed to revive them in this age of lawlessness, it is now. And sadly, many churches have moved away from law and only advertise uh, or, or promoted one aspect of truth. If you're a vegetarian, you'll know that you need to take vitamins because you need a balanced diet. Otherwise, you will be unhealthy. And any church that eats only one diet will be unhealthy. And so why are the Ten Commandments? Did God change his mind when he got to the New Testament and he said, Jesus, tell them to scrap that? No. There's something about them that is important. And our society, if it's to be successful, hear me today, it means that every individual has to be good. A good society is every individual being good. Don't look at the government of South Africa and blame them. Look at the person driving through the robot who just doesn't care because he knows he can get away with it. It's individuals who throw papers out of the window, leave our streets filthy, who beat up women. You don't have crowds beating up women. It's individuals. And then we think a campaign can solve it. No, it's personal law that needs to regulate us. And listen, we no longer teach our children how to be good. We teach them how to be clever, how to be famous, and how to be successful. And so we've got children who don't know good, but they know everything else. We've got to learn how to be good again. And the Ten Commandments are good. They're God's goodwill for guiding His people. Are you with me today? And if you want to group them, I'm going to say a lot of things before we actually read them. I'm going to do the introduction today deal with the first three, 
And then over the next six weeks, we'll do the rest. And I do believe they will benefit us tremendously. But if you group them together, the first four are our relationship with God. The next five are our relationship with others, because we, we need to live in a society, in a culture. And then the last one is our relationship with ourselves. What goes on inside here? And guess what? God, others, and ourselves, you've got a sound society. And we need to understand these commandments. Now listen, the law can't make you right with God because you will always fail. That doesn't mean you shouldn't keep them. You shouldn't try. They can't make us right with God, but they make us right with people. When you follow the Ten Commandments, you tend to relate to people correctly. So be careful as a Christian, I'm not under law, I'm not under law. No, no, you, there's a responsibility. Relationship with God, relationship with others, and then your relationship with yourself. They're not obsolete for living, but they are obsolete for salvation. Because the blood of Jesus saves you, because you always fall short. But they're not obsolete for living. They're still a great standard, and, uh, and they haven't changed. Some things come after the cross, and they change, like circumcision. That's the ceremonial law. How many of you know we don't circumcise you? We baptize you. Thank God. Imagine getting to 50. <laughs> We're going to circumcise people. Oh, my word. Thank God you just get wet. So ceremonial law, the washing of hands, all that stuff, that changes because we're under the blood, but the moral law of God is still God's character and nature, and that doesn't change. And we need to understand that, otherwise we will make a mistake with the way we live and the way we think. And, uh, you know, God gave them the law while they were in the wilderness, not when they came into the land, because the Ten Commandments aren't Israel's national law, they're the law for everybody. So God said, in the wilderness, I'll give it to them, lest they make it something national that relates to one group of people. This is for everybody. And guess what? God gave it to them when they were nomads in tents. You say, that's primitive, Pastor Andre. You know, we, we no longer live as nomads in tents. Yes, you know what? In 4,000 years, we haven't improved morally. We've improved technologically. Look at our homes today, air-conditioned home theaters, underfloor heating. We've got the latest decor and design. But guess what? In here... We have the same problems. So we need the Ten Commandments. I hope you're hearing me today. You see, what we've got today is we've got, we've got two kinds of society that are incorrect. The first one is autonomy. That's what everybody uh, likes to say. I, de I decide what I want to do. I'm the captain of my own ship. Then we have what's called democracy. Oh, we think that's the answer to everything. But you know what it is? Democracy says we all decide what we want to do. How many of you know the majority can be wrong? In South Africa's case, very wrong. What the majority has decided repeatedly has got us nowhere. But what we need is theocracy, where God decides what is right. Not autonomy, not democracy, theocracy. We go back to him and we say, Lord, what is it that you would have us to do? And I do believe we are still meant to live under the law. It's hard to do. Do you remember when Moses came down the mountain in Exodus 32 and he saw the people misbehaving? You know what he did? He threw the Ten Commandments on the ground. Oh, they'll never be able to keep it. God says, you're right. I made a mistake. Yeah, look at them, eh? I gave them to you, but Moses, only you and me can do it. God says, come back up the mountain, Exodus 32. I'm going to give it to you again. I'm not looking at the weaknesses. I'm looking at society's ideal. Are you with me today? 
So you know that, did you know that the Bible tells, tells us that the law of God is good, particularly in the Psalms? But in fact, throughout the Bible, can I give you some quick verses here before we actually read the Ten Commandments? So stay with me. Psalm 19 and verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Notice the different words it uses, law, statutes, precepts. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commandments of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold. They're much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey. So they affect the emotions. You can almost taste them. They affect your thinking, the way you view life. He goes on to say, Then honey from the honeycomb, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. In other words, life works out better for you as an individual and as a society. We go on and we, we read here in Psalm 119, My soul is consumed, David says, with longing for your laws at all times. How many of you f- wish that South Africa was better run, that there wasn't such lawlessness, that we didn't have to be held as, l- like we're living in a maximum security prison, like when you get to the robot, you don't stop on the line. I know some people stop. Have you noticed some people stop right in the intersection? Did they not do a license? We had told you the thick black line, white line, sorry, is where your front wheels mustn't go over. Now we go right into the intersection, and then when the robot hasn't changed it, we pull away. What is wrong with us? We are lawless, and we end up living as, as, as victims. You have to look in your window to see if there's anyone around you. You can't stop at the traffic light because then someone might hem you in. How do we live? Imagine if the Ten Commandments came. I long for your law, David says, and I'll tell you what, I long for God's laws too. I long for God's laws. I long for a country that is law-abiding. You see, here's a problem, church. The Christian has said we're not under law. In order that we might not feel any twinge of guilt, we've only taught grace. And guess what? Sooner or later, your unconscious tells you that that can't be. Try and raise your children and tell them only that you love them. We love you. You'll always be part of this family. You're awesome. You're amazing. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless you more. And then when you feel guilty, now I'm going to bless you more. Now I'm going to give you a warm clap if you don't listen to me. I'm going to discipline you. You're not going to watch your, on your iPad. You're not going to listen to music. Why? Because you need both aspects to raise a sound family. Whenever you want to know if theology is sound or not, bring it back to the family. No family can only run on grace. You need both. And, you know, we say we're not under law. Let me, let me tell you what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, and I'm building a picture because it's very, very important before we actually get to the meat. Matthew chapter 5, do not think. Because you can think incorrectly. Do not think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, he goes on to explain, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices, practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. No, no, what we do in the Christian church, those who only teach that we shouldn't be under law, we make them the greatest of preachers and they have the most following on the internet. We're losing our way. We have to get back to what God says and what Jesus says. Isn't that true? 
And you know what? They are the Ten Commandments are the recipe for success. We don't have time to read it, but read Psalm 1 and verse 1. Blessed is the man who doesn't sit in the council of sinners, but he's, he, he meditates on the Lord day and night. Everything he does will prosper. It's the key to success. And when it says in Galatians that we're not under law, it says we're not under law if we don't live according to the flesh and we are led by the Spirit. So a Christian who is carnal, who just lives and does what he likes, is not led by the Spirit and he's neither under law. One wonders if he's even saved. You need to think about this stuff. We've got so far across the boundary that we don't know that there's any confines anymore because anything goes. I'm astounded at how people just ignore God's word and then they think coming to church and singing a few songs is enough. No, we need to live and honor God. We need to serve him. Amen? And Paul writing to Timothy says that the law is good. It's meant to guide us and keep us from the wrong things. They're like, they're like the, the, the stars that guide us. You know, when you sail a ship, you navigate by the stars. You don't navigate by passing ships. Imagine you navigate by passing ships. Oh, there goes a light. Oh, there's another one. That's what we're doing in the world today. Oh, there's a light. Oh, that one's bright. Oh, that one didn't take me where I want to go. Oh, there's another light. No, you've got to go back to the stars. General Omar Bradley, who was one of the uh, generals of World War II, he said this. He said, set your course by the stars, not by the lights of every passing ship. Now let's read these Ten Commandments, the divine character and divine standards of God uh, from Exodus 20. Are you with me? You say, thank you for getting there eventually. <laughs> How many of you know what I've said already is important? Because it sets the stage. And it's so difficult in this first morning service when we have such time constraints online and with the stream and so on. But I want to get as far as I can and see what we can do today. And, and, and before I read it, let me just say this. Some people say this as Christians. We have the blood of Jesus, so we don't need the law. Remember, when Israel left Egypt, they put the blood on the door. And that protected them from the angel of death. But then, having been protected from the angel of death, they were given the law, so they knew what God required. Doesn't mean because you're saved, you don't need the law. Now you need to know how to live as God's people, having been saved by the blood of Jesus. Exodus chapter 20, and reading from verse 1. And God spoke all these words. In other words, not Moses. Moses didn't think this up. God spoke them. And he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. No one did this for you, only me. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Notice this, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Then he says, the third one, you shall not misuse the name, misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guilty, guilty who misuses his name. The fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In other words, it's not purely about you, it's about him. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. How many of you know God is very particular here? 
Then he says, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. When I get to talk about this, remember God rested. So he's saying, if I rested, you need to rest. But what we think is, no, we can make more money. We can produce more. So we make it a God instead of putting him first. You know, when you take a Sabbath, you're actually putting God first. And you're putting your body first. And you will recover. All these things are designed with our good in mind. Then it goes on to say, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. See, it doesn't say you shall not kill. In the, in the original Hebrew, it says you shall do no murder. So the death penalty is not against the law of God. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. It's pretty brief, eh? but it's pretty clear. You shall not steal. You shall not steal. You shall not steal. Even if you grew up poor, you shall not steal. Even if you come from a deprived background, you shall not steal. Even if people take advantage, you shall not steal. We move on. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, his female servant, his BMW, his Mercedes, his ox, his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Let's look at the first three this morning that are mentioned there as God reveals himself. And I've put it under four headings. God speaks about who he is, how he wants to be worshipped, how he wants to be known. And I've given it four headings. And the first thing that God tells us about himself in the book of Exodus here, in these commandments, is no alternatives or replacements. God says that he doesn't want alternatives or replacements. There is one God, and Christians and Jews only believe in what we call monotheism. We don't believe in multi-theism, many gods, even though our society tells us you must believe that because it's politically correct. God says, I am the only God, I am one God, and you need to believe in me only, and there should be no alternatives, and there should be no replacements. Now, this is not politically correct because today we have replaced God with isms, haven't we? All sorts of religions and idols and alternatives and isms. And it's got very quiet in this Presbyterian church this morning. You see, a lot of what we're living with has so made us uh, used to things that are not true that when you hear this, you go, it costs you to be a Christian. I don't know if you realize that. It costs you to be a Christian. You see, that's why this is so important today. And guess what? It starts, you know, you know where goodness in a society starts? With acknowledging there is a God, there is one God, and there's one way of living. From that proceeds good culture. The minute you say there are many gods with many ideas of how to live, everyone does their own thing, and we have what we have, chaos and lawlessness. Because who am I to say you're wrong? Now, I am here to say you're wrong because there's one God and he told me what's right and wrong and that's how I declare to you and I believe in him. The reason we're having our problems in our culture is not just bad behavior, it all starts with belief. We've stopped believing in the one true God because when you believe there's only one God and only one standard and only one right and wrong, life is very simple. When you believe there are many gods, it gets very complicated. And here the Bible starts with the one God who says there are no alternatives, no replacements. This is who I am. This is how I want to be viewed. This is what I want done. And this is how I want to be worshipped. You see, you could say that God is a bit self-obsessed. You know, I'm a jealous God and I want you to worship me. No, here's the thing. You become what you worship. 
Have you noticed people who worship money? They become money obsessed. Everything they do revolves around money. Even in the ministry, you can tell churches that are focused on money and churches that are focused on people. Money becomes your God, not the Lord. Your God becomes God. So every church service is about promoting materials and books and CDs, and they'll take 10 minutes to tell you that it's just this weekend, and this will cause your business to boom. See, they've lost sight of the truth, and now they have started worshiping money, but it looks like they're worshiping God. And I'll come to that later in a moment when we talk about misusing the name of the Lord. We've got to put God first because you become what you worship. A man wrote a book, Greg Beale, called We Become What We Worship, and he says what people revere they resemble either for ruin or for restoration. You, you become what you worship. You worship sex, you become a sex-obsessed person. You worship money, you be, everything you do revolves around how every person you meet, I wonder what I can get from them, I wonder what angle, I wonder how much I, uh, connections. No, you, you've got to worship God and then money will take its rightful place. You've got to worship God, then sex takes its rightful place as a gift from God. You worship God, then your house takes its rightful place as a gift from God. Your car is a vehicle. Even if you can drive an expensive one, it takes its rightful place. It no longer becomes an object of what you worship so that people can worship you. Am I making sense today? Sure. Today people worship not only celebrities and politicians and possessions, but we worship the environment. And then most of all, we worship ourselves. I've become my God autonomy. Everything I say is right. And I come first and I worship me. G.K. Chesterton said this. He said, when people stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing. They believe in anything. You see, when we read here, you shall have no replacements or idols. We, go, we, don't, we don't do that anymore. No, we don't have pieces of wood. Uh, in some people's homes, they do. Most people don't. But you know, what we do? we've replaced God with reason. My mind. He said, but you know, in today's world, reason. And then we add to it so-called science. Shall I tell you what South Africa's problem is? It's not crime. South Africa's problem, its root problem, is we worship money. We want money without working for it. That's why you have fraud everywhere. They start a fund for this. It's robbed. ESCOM, it's robbed. They, they have this, this uh, some, some digital vibes. They steal money from there. Then they start something for all the poor artists in the country. They steal money from there. Why? Because we've made money our God instead of worshiping God and earning money. We've got to understand how this stuff works. That's why the Ten Commandments are so important. But we keep saying, no, we need to have 21 days of activism for this. And, 20, and we want to tell our people to be good. You think they're just suddenly going to wake up one day and say, oh, I'm going to be good. I think around elections, like, yeah, we need to be good now. But after that, they go back to worshiping what they worship. We've got to get God back in the center. Because from belief in one God, everything else flows. No alternatives and no replacements. And guess what? You know what we make? We make an object of worship today? Education. Why is it so important? Education. I've said it before. Professors who teach in university have never run a business. They're going to teach you how to make a successful business? How is it possible that he who had never done it is going to prepare you to do it? That's why in universities all they can teach is, is all the bad history to make you bitter so you come out as a victim. 
And then we've got all the isms, socialism, communism, oh my word, Marxism, fascism, existentialism, postmodernism, feminism, materialism, hedonism, individualism, and then we've got humanism, and then we've got pantheism. God is in everything. He isn't one God in heaven. We've gone right back to the primitive world instead of the modern world with God's commandments guiding us. And we don't have faith, and we don't serve the true and living God. He says, don't make an image. Don't put something in my place. You know, it doesn't mean you shouldn't have nice buildings and you shouldn't have a picture of Jesus or we've got in the foyer, we've got depictions. As long as you don't go out there and... Because then you're making the material an object of worship. God is much bigger than the material. God is spirit, and those who worship him should worship him in spirit. So don't reduce him to something small like a little statue or a little icon. We've got some Greek icons in our home, bought them in Greece, you know, these paintings, and they've got gold in them. They make beautiful decorations, but we don't go into the corner. Oh, Jesus, we need healing today. Amen. No, we walk with God in the car, in the bathroom, in the lounge. Why? Because he's the all-encompassing God. And we've got to be so careful that there are no replacements and we don't end up making him something that he's not. Today, people, if you go into any department store, you will see statues and idols that people buy that they, in every single supermarket, even Woolworths, that they put in their garden so now they're going to get peace. If you think that a piece of stone in your garden is going to give you peace, you are incredibly deluded. Peace comes when you know who you are, who God is, what you're supposed to do. Then peace comes. It can't come from some stone because God doesn't live in the head of something. But we are so far gone. Even Christians, I've arranged my thing, and you know, a feng shui, and, a, and a this, the D, and then a, I can feel the peace, and then the crystal by the door. We stayed in the hotel the other day. There's a crystal by the door, big crystal. Ooh, as we walked in, we felt it, the peace. Can't stop you fighting with your wife. Can't stop you being rude in the traffic. Can't stop you stealing money. It's just an ornament. But we have gone so far down the road, we no longer know what's right or wrong. And we put our belief in material things. We've made objects and idols, and we've replaced God. Jeremiah says this, But foolish men without knowledge of God bow before their idols. It is a shameful business that these men are in. For what they make are frauds, gods without life or power in them, all are worthless, silly. They will be crushed when their makers perish. Number two, the second thing that comes from these three commandments today, in the few minutes I've got, no competition. No competition. No alternatives or replacements. No competition. He says, I'm a jealous God, and so you mustn't have other gods. Is God jealous? That sounds like he's got weird quirks. No, if you know anything about marriage, you don't marry someone and then say, oh, is that guy over there flirting with you? Just go off and have sex with him, and when you're done, come back. I'll be shopping. Come now. What happens? Vibes, arguments. Are you looking at him? No, I'm not. You are. I saw you. He's looking at you. What are you? <laughs> Why? Because where there's love, there's jealousy. Because you want exclusivity. You want loyalty. Now God is a jealous God. What kind of God is he? Well, he created you in his image for partnership and exclusivity. And the one God, he doesn't say how many choose one of me, whichever suits your fancy or tickles your fancy. 
No, one God, loyal. That's why we get jealous. And God's a jealous God. He says, I don't want competition. Because when there's competition, you suffer. You go off on a tangent. You do all sorts of strange things. That's why if you read the scriptures, Israel committed adultery when they betrayed the Lord. Yes, we committed adultery. Did they actually take a statue? And... No, they didn't. Because the scripture tells us here, and I want to read it to you, Ezekiel 23. They have committed both adultery and murder. He explains it. Adultery by worshiping idols and murder by burning as sacrifices the children they bore to me. Can you see that when you turn away from God and you create alternatives and replacements, you create competition, but you're the one that gets harmed because your behavior is affected. Number three, quickly here, no judgment. When we serve God and obey Him, there is no judgment on us to the third and fourth generation. There is blessing on us to a thousand generations. You see what God is not saying here, you disobey me, I'm going to nail your children. No, no, the Bible actually teaches that God doesn't blame the parents for the sins of the children. Let me explain this quickly in the time we have left. Deuteronomy 24, parents must not be put to death for the sins of their children. This is God speaking. Nor children for the sins of their parents. Those deserving to die must be put to death for their own crimes. What the Bible is saying here is if you disobey God, replace Him and find alternatives and you, and you use other gods to compete with God, the natural consequences of it will be in your generations. People won't serve God. Your family will go down, 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 and from just being disobedient will end up criminals, even murderers. How many of you heard of Bernie Madoff, the biggest criminal in American history? He stole $68 billion from people through his Ponzi scheme. Well, his youngest son committed suicide in 2010. I think his name was Mark. And he went and hung himself out of shame for what his father did. He didn't do it. And then his other son, Andrew, died in 2014 of lymphoma cancer. They say it was brought on by the stress. Do you remember the guy that shot all the people in Las Vegas from the Mandalay Bay Hotel? Being in that hotel, man, you walk in there. The guy looked at me, the security guy, come here. Started beating me. I was like, What? Why? Because the guy that shot all the people from that hotel was someone my age and profile. Yeah, killed 50 people, uh, 60 people, sorry, wounded 500. Guess who his father was? His father was on the FBI's 10 most wanted list. You see, it's, if, you, if you don't serve God as the one God, guess what happens? You replace him. You create competition, and then guess what happens? There's no, there's no blessing. There's judgment. God says these commands so that there's no judgment on you. I'll visit blessing on a thousand generations. You know why you've got problems in your life? It all started with you not believing in the one God and listening to what he said. Number four, as I come to a close, no misuse of God's name. Have you been helped today? No misuse of God's name. Now, this is the one that's most misunderstood. That's why the NIV is good. You know, the under translation says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So what we believe is, in the movies, when someone says, oh God, oh, you're guilty of the third commandment. No, no, no. It doesn't mean that. What it actually means is, even if you use the name Jesus Christ, which most people use as a swear word, funny enough, isn't that strange? That of all the words they would use, they don't say, oh, Buddha. Oh, Krishna. They say, oh, tells you there's something at work spiritually. Now, to misuse the name of the Lord God is this. 
It's when the terrorists say they're doing something in the name of God. And what do they say? Alu Akbar, God is great. Then they blow people up. That is misusing the name of the Lord. It's using the name of the Lord to do evil actions that you want done, and then you're making it God's will. So you run a church, and you preach, and you do false miracles, and you push people over, and you raise live people from the dead. That is misusing the name of the Lord for personal gain. Come on. I'm, I'm at an age where I don't, you know, I'm going to be with the Lord one day. Could be soon. I'm, I'm just, I just want to do what's right. I'm tired of playing games. Pretending. You know, you put it, people put on posters, signs, wonders, miracles. Oh, do you have a tap that you, as soon as the meeting starts, psh, there they come, signs, wonders, miracles. They don't have it at Rivers because they live in Santon. But we've got it in the, you know, in the tent. Shit, <laughs> signs, wonders. Now you're doing something to create spectacular, to, create, to get offerings, to get worship, and you're misusing the name of God. He says, I will not hold him guiltless. I will not hold him guiltless. Someone who does something in the name of the Lord is using God's name falsely. It's putting themselves in the place of God. We've got to be careful about these things. And the Ten Commandments are important. Now, I need to come to a close here. You know, God has revealed himself. And in the book of Acts, Paul summarizes this. Now, I'm going to do this quickly, and then I'm going to pray with you. Has it been good this morning? Have you been helped in Kailami and online? I trust you have. Paul says this in Acts. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere throughout the city. So Paul, standing before them at the Marseille Forum, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious. For as I was walking, I saw your many altars, and some of them had this inscription on it, to the unknown God. You have been worshiping him without knowing who he is, and now I wish to tell you about him. He made the world and everything in it, and since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't minister to his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and satisfies every need that there is. If this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol made by men from gold or silver or chipped from stone. God tolerated man's past ignorance about these things, but now he commands everyone to put away idols and worship him only. You see, we lived in ignorance before. We didn't know what was true. Let's not go back to primitive times. Let's not put in, you know what an idol is? Anything that's in the place of God. Anything that's more important than God. Let's recognize that today God has sent his son, and his son is the name above every name. Isn't that true? The name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Because God doesn't have many gods and many prophets. Oh, you can worship Ezekiel and Isaiah. And if you so choose, you can have Malachi. For those of you that don't want them, you can have Hosea. And then if you, you... No, there is Jesus Christ, the one God sent his one son. And we shouldn't worship other things. That's why our society is in trouble. We should worship the one God through his son Jesus, who gave his blood to cleanse us from sin. But we're still the people of God, so God's law still applies. Come bow your head with me across the room quickly. I'm going to pray. And if you're watching me online and in Kailami, I'm going to hand over to Pastor Chris in Kailami. But right now, bow your head in the room with me and online. If you're watching, you say, God spoke to me today. He's reminded me of his truth, his wisdom, his standards, his character. And it's been quite sobering. And you know, it might be good for us in the room today, if we don't know Jesus, to make him Lord of our lives. If you're watching online, 
Jesus Christ wants to be the Lord of your life. The one God, monotheism. He wants to be your true God. And he sent his only son to free you from the law's penalty. That's death. And to give you life. But now he wants you to walk as a child of God. You say, I don't know him. Well, today I'll pray with you. If you're in the room today, you say, I need to recommit my life to God. I realize I've strayed away. I've kind of shrugged off God's law. But today I want to make Jesus Lord. I want to put God first. I want to pray with you. So if you're online, won't you join with us in the room as we pray today? And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, church, we do this in the services and it's wonderful. If today you say, I need to give my life to Jesus or I want to recommit my life to the Lord, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to make you stand up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not going to make you. Um, thank you. I'm not going to do anything other than pray with you. Raise your hand. Say, Lord, today, Jesus is my Lord. I'm serving the one and true God. I want to recommit. Many hands have gone up in the room. If you're watching online, do the same. And we'll all pray together in just a moment. Quickly, raise that hand because I've got a couple of minutes left. And then the stream ends. So I've got to go quickly. But this morning, this is an important moment. You haven't put your hand up in the room and you say, I should have. Come on, pop it up. Others are responding. Some hands at the back, yes. Awesome. I'm going to pray. And if you're watching online, join me in this prayer as everyone in the room prays out loud. Let's pray like this. Thank you, Father, that you are the true and living God, the only God. We acknowledge you today. Thank you for your son, Jesus, the only Savior. We trust him today. Put our faith in him today for our salvation. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive my sin. Make me a child of God. I commit to follow you and walk with you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message. 